Welcome to Truths for Life with Pastor Teacher Chris Hall. Let's read Revelation chapter 10 together. Here's what John said. John said, I saw still another mighty angel coming down from heaven, clothed with a cloud. And a rainbow was on his head, and his face was like the sun, and his feet like pillars of fire. He had a little book open in his hand, and he set his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land. And he cried with a loud voice as when a lion roars. When he cried out, seven thunders uttered their voices. Now when the seven thunders uttered their voices, John said, I was about to write what was said, but I heard a voice from heaven saying unto me, No, seal up the things which the seven thunders uttered, and do not write them. The angel whom I saw, standing on the sea and on the land, raised up his hand to heaven and swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created heaven and the things that are in it, the earth and the things that are in it, and the sea and the things that are in it, that there should be delay no longer. But in the days of the sounding of the seventh angel, when he was about to sound, the mystery of God would be finished as he declared to his servants the prophets. Then the voice which I heard from heaven spoke to me again and said, Go, take the little book which is open in the hand of the angel who stands on the sea and on the earth. So I went to the angel and said to him, Give me the little book. And he said to me, Take it and eat it. And it will make your stomach bitter, but it will be as sweet as honey in your mouth. Then John said, I took the little book out of the angel's hand, and I ate it. And it was sweet as honey in my mouth, but when I had eaten it, my stomach became bitter. And then the angel said to me, John, John said, you must prophesy again about many peoples, nations, tongues, and kings. Let me share with you some predictions that were made in the early part of the last century. For instance, in 1911, Richard Lucas of the Royal College of Surgeons in England, 1911, here's what he predicted. He predicted by the year 2000, human beings would have only one toe. He said, since the small toes are being used less and less, as time goes by, the great toe will develop until it is the only toe we have. Aren't you glad he missed it on that prediction? In 1925, Harvey W. Corbett of the American Institute of Architects said this. He said, well, I predict that by 1975, automobile traffic will entirely disappear in New York City. Instead, he said, people will be shot around the city through tubes. Well, in the book of Revelation, God reveals for us what is going to happen in the future. Now, obviously, those predictions that we just read were so very wrong. But listen to me. It is God who is in control of human history. And what God says in his inspired word about what is going to happen in the future is true, and it can be trusted.
in Isaiah chapter 46, verses 9 and 10. Here's what God says of himself. He said, I am God, and there is no other. I, God says, declare the end from the beginning and from ancient times things that are not yet done. Today we come to Revelation chapter 10. And in this chapter, we have a pause in the judgments that will fall on the earth during the time of the tribulation. And so let's look at this chapter. And we will look at this chapter in this way. We'll look at the ministry of the angels. An angel is very prominent in this chapter. We'll look at the ministry of angels. Then we'll look at the mysteries of God and finally, the message of God's Word. First of all, let's look at the ministry of angels. As this chapter unfolds, John sees what he calls a mighty angel coming down to earth from heaven. Now, John's description of this mighty angel speaks of his power and his greatness. Angels are very prominent in the book of Revelation. Angels are mentioned over 70 times in this book. God will employ his angels during the time of the tribulation to carry out his judgment on the lost world and to minister the tribulation believers. Now, angels are a very interesting subject. Angels are very active and very involved in our world today, and they will be very active during the time of the tribulation. Angels are active and involved in our world today, especially in the lives of believers. The Lord Jesus said that the angels rejoiced when you gave your life to Jesus Christ. In Luke chapter 15, verse 10, here's what Jesus said. Likewise, he said, I say to you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. When you gave your life to Jesus Christ, there was a party in heaven. The angels rejoiced that you, a sinner, had turned to Christ and that you were saved. And the Bible teaches that from the moment a person is saved, uh, from the moment a person gives their life to Christ until we leave this world, we will experience the ministry of angels. God uses his angels to protect us, to deliver us, to provide for us, to encourage us, to correct us, and to guide us. My friend, if you're a child of God, you have absolutely no idea how many times angels have been involved in your life. They have been there often in your life as a believer. In fact, it will not be until we get to heaven that we fully understand how God used his angels to minister to us in our lives and how often our lives were touched by angels. I remember on one occasion, on a Sunday morning while I was in church, I'd had a particularly tough week that week, a very challenging week. I was preparing myself as we were worshiping the Lord. I was on the pulpit area, up in the, on the podium. 
And as, as we were preparing to worship the Lord, I just felt a great burden upon my heart. Now, you know what that's like to have burdens upon you. And as the choir was singing a beautiful song, I bowed my head and I said, Lord, just silently to myself, a silent prayer, Lord, I'm tired. It's been a long week. It's been a hard week. And I'm tired. I just want to ask you to help me as I stand in the pulpit this morning. And my friend, I had an experience. It felt like literally there was a hand placed upon my shoulder. I didn't see the hand. It was invisible to me and everyone else. But I do believe that that was the touch of an angel. And I did feel in that moment encouraged and strengthened. And I went into that pulpit a whole lot different than when I was sitting in that chair on the podium. I believe that God sent an angel to say, Brother Chris, I'm with you. It's all right. You hang in there. He gave me encouragement. My friend, angels have been involved in my life, and they have been involved in your life as well. When we get to heaven, God's going to show us how much angels were involved in helping us to love him and live for him in this world. And when the time comes for us to leave this world, the Bible says this, and I believe this is true. God will send his angels to take us home to heaven. Do you remember that story Jesus told of the rich man and Lazarus? In that story in Luke 16, verse 22, Jesus said, so it was that the beggar died, the beggar in the story died, and he was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. My friend, as a child of God, when it comes time for you to leave this world, you're not going to be alone. There may be no humans around, but God's going to be there, and the angels will be there too. So this chapter begins with a picture of a mighty angel. And the ministries of angels and the lives of believers is an expression of God's love for his people. The angels love what God loves. And because God loves us, the angels love God's people. So that's the ministry of the angels. Second of all, I want us to see the mystery of God from this chapter. John said that when the feet of this mighty angel touched the earth, what a picture. The angel cried out with a loud voice that sounded like the roar of a lion. Now, John doesn't tell us what the angel said, but... I have a sneaking suspicion that it may have been something like a loud hallelujah and amen because the angel realizes that the glorious return of Jesus Christ to this earth and the fulfillment of God for human history was going to happen very soon. If the angels look forward, to the second coming of Jesus Christ. Shouldn't believers in Christ do so even more? Here's what I believe. I believe the closer a believer abides with Christ, 
the more they will anticipate his return. And the more they will be motivated by the second coming to greater efforts of commitment and service and holy living. Did you know that the Bible says more about the second coming of Jesus Christ than it does about his first? Now, we celebrate Christmas every year. We celebrate the first coming of Jesus Christ. But the same Bible who, which tells us about the first coming of Jesus also tells us that he is coming again. And my friend, he is. He's coming again. John said that immediately after he heard the angel cry out, he heard another voice. And he said this voice sounded like seven thunders. Now that phrase means that it was very loud. Seven is the number of completion in the book of Revelation. Thunders, pretty loud. Seven thunders, and this is a loud voice. Now, whose voice is this? Well, I believe that what John heard was literally the awesome and the powerful voice of God himself. Psalm 29, verses 3 through 9, describes the powerful voice of God. Listen to what the psalmist said. The voice of the Lord is upon the waters. The glory of God thunders. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars of Lebanon. The voice of the Lord delivers the flames of fire. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. God spoke. The angel said, Amen, hallelujah. And then God spoke. And John heard what the voice said. And so John was about to write down what he heard God said. But God tells him, no. Do not write down what, was, what you have heard. Seal up what you have heard, John was told. Now, God reveals many things about himself and many things about his ways in the Bible. The Bible reveals the essentials of who God is. The Bible tells us of God's nature, his character, his wisdom, his power, and his love. For instance, Revelation 10.6 tells us four very important things about God. It says that, that God is eternal, that he lives forever and ever. Revelation 10.6 says that God is the creator. He created heaven, the earth, the sea, and all of the things that are in them. Revelation 10.6 says that God is a God of mercy who delays his judgment on those who reject him to give them the opportunity to repent and be saved. God would much rather forgive than to condemn. Revelation 10, 6 also says that God is just. God is holy. And one day, he will delay his just judgment no longer. The Bible tells us, oh, so many wonderful things, wonderful truths about God. The Bible reveals God to us. But there are many more things about God and the ways of God that are mysteries to us. Things that we will not begin to understand until we get to heaven. 
Sometimes you will hear people say, well, heaven must be a, a boring place. My friend, this world is boring. When we get to heaven, we will have all eternity to explore the greatness and the goodness and the character and the nature of God. There was an occasion when my family and I were on the beach. We were enjoying a beautiful day at the beach. I was sitting on the beach in one of our chairs, and there was a child and his family nearby. And a child, a little child, a sweet little child, took a cup and ran out into the ocean and filled that little drinking cup up with seawater. And he came back excitingly to his mother and said, Look, Mama, I have the ocean in a cup. The Bible reveals so many wonderful things about God. What a great and gracious and kind and awesome God he is. But do you know that what you and I really know about God compared to an ocean would only fill a cup? When we get to heaven, we're going to explore all of who God is, his greatness, his power, everything that God is. And for all eternity, we will explore the ocean of the greatness of God. And when we've been there 10,000 years, we will have only just begun. For all eternity, we will have the joy of exploring and discovering the fullness of God's greatness, glory, and wisdom. So in Revelation chapter 10, John speaks of the ministry of angels. And then he speaks of the mystery of God. And finally, he speaks of the message of God's Word. The mighty angel that John saw was holding a book, a scroll, which the angel told John to take and eat. What a strange command. As John was told to devour this message, and literally that what it is what it means, John was told to take this message from God and put it into his life, to devour this message from God. As John was told to devour this message from God, we are told to ingest the Word of God in our lives, to get it inside of us, not by eating it, of course, but by reading and meditating upon the Word of God. John was told to eat this word, eat this, this message. We are told to ingest God's word, get it inside of our lives. Because God's word is powerful. It will give us guidance and direction. It will make a difference in our life. Psalm 1-2 says that we should meditate upon God's word day and night. Psalm 119-11 says, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Colossians 3.16 says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. So John was told to take this book and to eat it. It's hyperbole. It's a picture of John ingesting this message, this message from God. John said the message that was given to him was sweet in his mouth, but bitter in his belly. What does this mean? Well, there is sweetness in God's Word. There's the sweetness of the gospel. There is the sweetness and the richness of the Lord Jesus Christ 
and the love of God. There's the sweet message of heaven and the sweet message of forgiveness. There is sweetness in God's word. But there's also bitterness in the Bible. There's the bitterness of God's judgment on those who refuse to repent and believe. There is the bitterness of judgment and the bitterness of hell. Sometime the message I preach from God's word is sweet and dear. But sometimes the message I preach from the word of God is bitter and drear. In the word of God, you find the sweetness of God, but you also find the bitterness of truth. The sweet truth is this. Here is the sweet truth. If a person will receive Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, they will be saved from the penalty of sin. They will be saved from a a wasted life, and a lost eternity. That is a sweet message to preach. That is a sweet truth. How sweet it is indeed to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. But the bitter truth is this. If a person rejects Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, the bitter truth is, They will die in their sins. Jesus said that. They will die in their sins. They will die with their sins unforgiven. And the bitter truth is they will be lost forever. The Lord Jesus Christ has promised to come. Why does he delay? Why hasn't he come already? The Bible says in the last days, people will scoff at the idea that Jesus is coming again, and they're scoffing today. They're scoffing in the church. They're scoffing outside the church. But Jesus has promised to come again. Why hasn't he already? Why does Jesus delay? Well, the Bible says that one reason the Lord delays his coming is to give the unsaved the opportunity to be saved. Hebrews 10.37 says, For yet a little while, and he who is coming will come, and he will not tarry. Each and every day is a day of grace, a day of mercy, a day of opportunity for those who have never trusted in Jesus Christ to be saved. My friend, if you've never trusted in Christ, God has given you a gift. God has given you a wonderful gift, a marvelous gift. He's given you this day. He's given you the truth. He's given you the conviction of sin in your life, brought on by the Holy Spirit of God, drawing you to Christ. Today is a great gift God has given to you if you're not a Christian. Don't waste this gift today, today, right now. Trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord. The Bible says, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And I would encourage you today to come before Jesus and say, I'm a sinner. I'm 
lost and I know it. And I'm sorry, God. And I want to be forgiven and I want to live a different kind of life. I want to be a different kind of person. Would you save me today? I give my life to you. I believe Jesus died on the cross for my sins. I believe he rose again. I receive him today as my Savior, the one who died for me. I receive him today as my Lord, the Lord of my life. Come into my life and save me today. I surrender my life to you. If you're not a Christian, I pray that you'll pray that prayer and receive Christ as your Savior and Lord. Thank you for joining us for our study tonight in Revelation chapter 10. Thank you for joining us for our program today. Truths for Life with Pastor Teacher Chris Hall is a presentation of Hall Sports Communications. To contact us, you can send an email to chrishall71 at hotmail.com. That's chrishall71 at hotmail.com. Be sure to join us for our next program. Until then, stay safe and may God bless you.